and out of like I think of a circle that was perhaps perpetuating that idealism of perfection or or of you know being so rigid and strident about like all these things you were supposed to be good skinny christian good student popular pretty hair you know everything that you were supposed to be and making trying to make up for all the things that you that you weren't welcome to the secret life podcast Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with? Or, you know, those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Christine. Now, Christine, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret is that when I was 15 and about for the next 10 years after that, I had a raging eating disorder, mostly bulimia, Mm -hmm. but that also vacillated between bulimia and anorexia. I don't think many people knew that I struggled with this. Um, I felt intensely shameful about it at the time. And there aren't a lot of people even in my life now that knew it was it encompassed such a large part of my life. It went on for on and off for a decade. And um, I never sought help for it. I never mm-hmm. got professional help for it. I just decided one day that I wanted it to stop ruling all of my thoughts. Wow. And that I slowly made small changes uh, mm-hmm. in my life to to stop thinking that way. And it's so interesting to me that I was somehow able to do that because I don't know where that came from. And I certainly haven't been able to do that in my adult life with other things I've struggled with. <laughs> so where that that came, you know, in, in my mid-20s of being like, yeah, no more of this. Every time I go on vacation, I obsess about what I'm going to eat or not eat or how I, you know, if I feel the instinct to to binge like how i will be secretive about trying to get away and purge and like it it becomes like so much of your thinking that you oh can't allow yourself to even be present in the world it's horrible it's terrible and i have to tell you i was also anorexic for a period it was mm-hmm. in you know it was in my high school years and it got really bad i i and mine was because I had no control over my life. And it was the mm-hmm. only thing I could have control over was food. Yeah. And it's that it's a very strange cycle because it's almost like a reward punishment with yourself. Yeah. You know, food becomes good and bad. And I was good because I only ate, you know, three asparagus and two peanuts or whatever. And oh, I was bad because I had a sandwich and then maybe an ice cream and then Oh well, now it's all lost. So I might as well just go full hog and just eat whatever. Eat I want. everything and, and just go, get so sick because yeah. you eat everything. 
Yeah, exactly. So it was, and, and yeah, it's so much of it, I think had to do with, um, self-acceptance, um, mm-hmm. with, with control over, you know, what things I could put in my body or, or, or could take out of my body. Um, and what I've realized, you know, now years and years later, because I don't, I don't have that relationship with food anymore. You're and lucky. I'm so happy I don't. I know. I'm very lucky. You are lucky. so and lucky I, because I've talked to so many people and even myself sometimes if I have a piece of cake or something, I can, sometimes my head will be like, you shouldn't have eaten that. Now you have to work out. Like right. those thoughts, those don't happen for you anymore? They they really don't. It took a wow. long time though. It took a long time after I decided I was going to stop it to to disengage those thoughts from, mm-hmm. you know, living a, I think a, a normal balanced lifestyle with give and take. And, uh, and certainly, you know, I have two children now and the last thing I would want to do is put eating issues on either one of them. Oh yeah. So I've been very mindful of how we talk about food, you know, because even, I think we come from, or maybe not you, but I, I know certainly my generation, we kind of come from like the plain clay club of there are starving children in X country. Oh yeah, you so better eat everything. This, yeah, it's like <laughs> this guilt, you know, of, and I have found myself wanting to go there with my explanations and, you know, even my my frustration at, I made this really nice meal and I spent all of this money and now you're telling me you think it's gross. And you like, don't want to eat it? Yeah. Like, I, like <laughs> ah, I have a two-year-old. starving. I know, I have a two-year-old and I like fix all this stuff and he like picks at like two things and I'm looking at him and I want to go, we are not leaving this table till you eat your food. You know, right. what my and parents made us do. And it's- Exactly. And I mean, I remember my mom, like she would, you know, I never wanted to eat the salad. Kids don't like to eat the salad. That's yeah. just the thing. And or the every green night beans. She would, I hate the green, green beans. beans. <laughs> and she would wrap it in saran wrap and then the next day serve me that same damn salad. And it just got grosser and grosser Ew. and wiltier and wiltier to the point where I'm like, this is maybe not safe anymore. Yeah. This probably has <laughs> bacteria in it growing from the salad <laughs> Mom, dressing. So- the iceberg lettuce is starting to brown. Like, <laughs> yeah, because that's all we ate back then is like iceberg oh, lettuce. Oh, God. Wait, here's my question. I, my, I really want to start. Do you remember the moment where you did have that relationship with food that got a little weird? Like, do you remember the first moment you were like, oh, I'm not going to eat that or going back? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember the very first. I know I was around 15. It, my body was starting to change. I had right. always been like a stick my whole life and mm-hmm. could eat sugar and could eat, you know, pretty much whatever Me too. I want. Me too, girl. Yeah. And then, you know, you start to develop and your body starts to change a little bit. And I, I think I felt... I, I, you know, no one ever talked about puberty really with me in an open manner. It was like, I went to health class and we had like two, you know, maybe two lessons on like puberty. And then we were just kind of like off to our own devices. So no one was going to tell you that you were going to feel strange in your own body, that your body may not feel like your own, that all of this was normal and should be celebrated. And instead I felt, I think I felt intense shame over my body changing and the fact that I wasn't like a child anymore. Um, And, you know, I worked, you know, people would probably say, oh, it had everything to do with being in the entertainment industry, which I was from a young age. But I I don't think it was actually that because I never felt as a child, I certainly never felt 
shame around, you know, weight or, mm. or even really like appearance. People I worked with were all very supportive and really like wonderful. Um, but the high school I went to in yeah. Atlanta um, was intensely, all the girls were, were very scrutinized and scrutinized of each other. And there was sometimes these like strange, it almost felt competitions on like, who could limit themselves more? Who could, who could eat just ice at lunch and then, and then be out, be seen running like four and five miles after school? Like it was very strange. That is strange. Maybe it's the Southern mentality for women. I, I don't so. know. Well, you know, I'm from Atlanta too. That's so weird. I also felt in competition all the time with all the other girls. And the way you look and how yeah. you dress and how you present, which let's be clear. And I could never, I never knew it then. And I probably wouldn't have even thought about it had I not taken a deep dive into my own, you know, reflecting on my own bias and how I grew up. But a lot of that has to do with all kind of trickles down from being in a patriarchal society and some of it with white supremacy. I mean, it all kind of goes hand in hand with a way that I think women are taught to be a certain way. Yes. Seen and not heard. Very proper. You look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And once you get out of that mold, you're ridiculed really harshly. I mean, you know, being, uh, you know, being skinny was favored, being, Mm -hmm. you know, quiet, not being too like loud, being polite, being like, you know, this kind of perfect Southern debutante was, was like the pinnacle of how you were supposed, how you were supposed to act. Or these were at least the girls that I grew up around. No, me too. And I just have to say, because you're making me like go back to high school right now internally. And I remember all those feelings of not fitting in or not feeling good enough and guys being like, don't talk like that. And I had to literally say to one guy, I don't care if you like me or not, (laughs) because I would speak my mind sometimes. Exactly. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is thrust upon us because of other people, the way other people's parents grew up or the the trickle down effect of what our other friends are you know, butting up against mm-hmm. that then is is sort of almost off gas to you just because you're close in proximity or you're friends with someone or you suddenly feel like you're in competition about some invisible, you know, uh, race that we are, you didn't know you were playing. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't until like, I, I think I, I was much older and, and kind of evaluated, like even back then the way I felt for so long mm-hmm. and how I was able to kind of stop the cycle of like, I don't want to feel like this. And I, I will say even like through my therapy, um, in more recent years, I've come to accept that I am much, I can show much more compassion for others and empathy than I've ever been able to show for myself. I know. Isn't that crazy how you can literally give that to someone else, but you can't give it to yourself. Yeah. I'm like, where does that, where does that come from and why, and why have I been, why, why all the negative self-talk for so long when I could look at, you know, if a friend said to me, like, I just don't feel worthy. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at my job and I'm, I'm fat and, and I, I'm you know, ugly I'm and I just, right. I'm a I'm bad mom or, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Or like I, you know, I always open my big mouth and offend someone or, or, you know, these are all the things that I think I would, I would look at them and probably say, are you kidding? 
don't yeah. say that about yourself. And I would have so much more compassion for somebody else, but yet I would probably do the same negative things to myself. So, you know, I think it all kind of goes hand in hand and uh, it, it's, it's a, remarkable to me how quickly, especially girls grow up and, um, you know, and how they learn to, how they learn to kind of manipulate their surroundings, how we learn how we're supposed to be fitting in and creating these sort of hierarchies and structures of, of power within our communities. And it's not always for the better. No, I don't think it ever is for the better. But I do have a question for you when you just said that how girls, you know, especially in our society and especially now, do you feel like it's attached to how women at a young age are sexualized? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I think it I think it can also be that we want to say that women are more communal and I think in general we are, but I do think there's a great deal of competition. And mm-hmm. I think that happens young and it's not just about getting like the right man or securing, you know, the right like life for yourself. Although that becomes part of the equation, yeah. but girls who are like really young, it, there are hierarchies and power structures within friendships. I remember that from a young age of like, well, so-and-so, this is like the cool group. And these are the girls who are friends with these girls. But now my best friend just dropped me because one of those girls started talking to her. It's, it, it becomes yeah. very complicated very quickly. Even in preschools, you can see what they call, um, um, there's certain, there's collective play. And then there's some, there's where, you know, where some kids sort of like don't want to play with other kids and they make up excuses as to why they don't because they want to be exclusive. They want to like have exclusionary play. And this isn't something that clearly I've ever taught my daughter. This is something that just is a naturally evolving thing that you almost have to, I think, like, uh, unlearn. Um, and as you get older, I, I, I mean, I think sexualized, I think girls being sexualized is a big factor. I think also, You know, I think media is a big factor too. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of these like um, shows that are meant to be for even seven-year-olds are way too, like, they're not over my daughter's head, but there's too much information that's being subconsciously disseminated um, to her. Just just even like in the way that people talk, it's way too mature. Well, I'm watching Mickey Mouse Club with my son, who's two two in four months, right? So- they have Daisy and Minnie Mouse running in high heels. I know. And my husband know. pointed it out. I didn't even point it out. My husband goes, they're wearing high heels. Do you realize that? And I was like, oh my God, they are. Right. For a kid to watch, a little girl to and watch then, that they have to be in high heels. And you're, and that's assuming that, right. That's assuming that that's how women are supposed to look. And that's how women are supposed to dress. Yeah. And, and where this all comes from, you know, I, like I, I think gender disparity from so long ago that we that we don't adhere to today, but that is still so prevalent in so much of our media and our culture. Yeah. So it, it sounds like a little thing, but I, I think it's actually a big thing because it happens over and over and over again. Yeah, and we're so blind to it or numb to it, like that For cartoon sure. characters have on high heels and like skimpy little outfits. And then you're thinking, wait a second, that my child is thinking that's how a woman is supposed to look. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, even like with, um, 
like with social media, I think I can't imagine. I mean, I, oh. I was in high school, like at the dawn of the internet when we basically could email each other and that's about all you could do. Uh, because Same it with you. We had you pagers. Had that's it. Like we had pagers. Like that's how yep. old I am that oh, I, sure. yeah, you didn't, I can't imagine growing up in social media era. I can't all. either because as an adult, I find it tricky to emotionally navigate sometimes. Oh, I do too. I, I took off a year and I was like, I don't care. I cannot be on this right now. It is actually damaging my soul is what I felt. Yeah. I have to really, I take a, a, a lot of dips and valleys where I dip in, dip out, or I, you know, I love seeing my friends and I love seeing their kids and you know, what they're up to, especially now because we're so isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find it to be, uh, look, I know what times suck when I see one. Um, <laughs> so there are a lot of things I could be doing with my life and scrolling through other people's lives may not, may not be on the forefront yeah, of, of what I, I want to be remembered as. And I don't even think it's like scrolling through people's lives. It's scrolling through the filtered, perfected, yeah. beautiful version of their life. And that right. really hit me one day. And I know we're, we're getting off track, but it hit me one day when I saw a picture of my friend and it, it looked stunning. Like her life looked beautiful. And I'm not kidding. Five minutes later. And this was after I went into like, oh, my life stinks. I don't, you know, you go through the, right. I don't have, or I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. My favorite character defect is compare and despair. And, and she called me five minutes later and told me, how horrible she was doing. And it was like a God hit me in the face saying, see, it's not real. Like you have to stop. You're going to like destroy any good, any gratitude around your life. Totally. And I can only imagine growing up with that when you're already, you know, emotionally fragile, hormonal, like, like, and then, and then having to compare despair your life against other people's at a young age. Like, No, because we only used to compare ourselves to people in our high school, like in our small community. And now you're comparing yourself to millions and millions of people all around the world. And you have like, I'm going to say the Kardashians that filter. I love that they made women's bodies curvier, acceptable. I'm going to give them that. But mm-hmm. when they filter the crap out of their pictures, it's right. like, how much damage are you doing? Well, and I mean, I, I totally agree. I think all of those, I'm just laughing that like that face <laughs> app or Facetune or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, I made my husband look like a, like a, not, not a bad looking woman. And I was putting on makeup and angling his face and adding this. And afterwards he was like, who is that? Oh my God. Wait. Oh, here's my question for you. I have the best question. So if you think you grew up in this social media era, that 10 years you were on and off your eating disorder, do you think you would have survived? I think I would have had it for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been more intense I think I would have had to do more work than I already did to disentangle myself from it. And I, I think it would still be ruling my life in some way, shape or form every day. Wow. I really do. I really do. Because I think like, that was the other thing that I, I felt lucky. I now looking back, I feel lucky about it. Didn't, it didn't bloom because of a compare despair watching other people on social media platforms and mm-hmm. comparing my body to theirs. It grew out of something that was 
a personal experience. Mm -hmm. And once I was out of high school and out of like, I think of a circle that was perhaps perpetuating that idealism of perfection or, or of, you know, being so rigid and strident about like all these things you were supposed to be good, skinny, Christian, good student, popular, pretty hair, you know, everything you were supposed to be and making, trying to make up for all the things that you, that you weren't. Mm -hmm. Once I was out of that and in college, so much of that wasn't important anymore. And I, I realized like, why am I holding on to this stuff that doesn't mean anything? So had I, had it, had it, I think it come from or been perpetuated out of something that I could still get my hands on and access to, you know, that's the gateway drug. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't stay. Yeah. You got out of that circle of friends. Yeah. So you got to yeah. see what was really important and how horrible you were do- being to yourself. And I wasn't being praised for it. You know, there wasn't any like, um, there was likes. <laughs> yeah. There were no likes. There were no, you look amazing. There were no, like, I actually had a, had a, a boyfriend at the time um, who, you know, he could tell I had like food issues and I was, I was embarrassed by that. I was embarrassed by my food issues. And when he would say, Hey, like, I'm going to make myself a sandwich. You want one. And I, my immediate reaction would be like, no, no, I never wanted to eat. I like, I never wanted to eat in front of anyone. I didn't want to eat in front of him. And I remember him being like, dude, you gotta eat. Like you gotta eat. And I would get all, like, I would start sweating and I would get nervous and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to eat. You know, and then he would just, he made me a sandwich once and I remember it had cheese on it. Oh God, no cheese has fat. Oh God, no, I can't eat this. You know, and then it, again, just like with the, with the obsessing over yeah. all the things that were in this sandwich, it's a sandwich. It's just a eat sandwich. the sandwich. Just eat the sandwich. It's, like, <laughs> it's not rocket science. Like what, like the fact that I had to overcome this, this intense anxiety around a sandwich, that it would lead to a crying episode about eating a sandwich for the love of God, like, like how much time is going to be wasted having anxiety about sandwiches in my life? Yeah. And I'm finally like, no, no more of this. Eat the sandwich and just, just sit with it. You will, you will be okay. That's beautiful. That's so, I'm sorry. I, I know I still want you to go on, but I just have to say that is such a beautiful, loving moment for yourself that you knew bigger than your, you know, compulsion. Yeah. And I give, you know, and I give the boyfriend some credit too, because he was compassionate with me. Mm-hmm. He didn't shame me. He didn't say, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. You have issues. He saw that I had like, uh, he saw that I had issues and he was, he was loving about it. And, and I, you know, I ate half the sandwich and I sat there and I had like, I was like fidgety and having anxiety and thinking about all the, you know, oh my God, did I eat too many calories or what was in that and blah, blah, blah. 20 minutes later, I felt better. I had food in me. I felt like a normal person. It was half a sandwich. I didn't feel bloated. I could eat the other half or not, depending if I was still hungry. You know, these are the normal decisions that people make every day and don't even think twice about. Why was I letting this become Rule who your I life. was going to be? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I'm not to say that it didn't stop there, but 
because it's really the obsession. It's the it's the obsessive thoughts that take a long time. Yeah. To it's get retraining through. your mind. It's completely yeah. retraining your mind. And I always like to take these kind of secrets that we go through or that we're in with the seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, more in the character defect. So let right. me know if any of these obsessive thoughts of with your eating, if any of these ring true back then. So we have pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. I think there's definitely um, pride, mm-hmm. right? I think that that the not eating would give these like false senses of, of accomplishment, <laughs> accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, I mean, gluttony and sloth are probably the other two. The, the binging and being gluttonous and then feeling such shame over it. Mm-hmm. Um, the feeling of lethargy afterward, the feeling of like not wanting to, you know, deal with the problem. Um, the shame of feeling like I'm such a terrible person. Why do I keep doing this to myself? I don't want anyone to know. I'm so shameful about it. It's a secret. God forbid, like someone find out it's disgusting. There's also like all of that, you know, yeah. that comes that comes along with it, and like, you know, it just I think I think just like deeply, deeply shameful. So so yeah, I, you know, gluttony and and sloth kind of go hand in hand. I think uh, completely. Like and and when you're talking about it, all those ring true for me. It, but I had that envy also, like envy. Sure. It was it seemed easier for other people, like to not deal with their food problems or to restrict easier than me. So I had that. You're lucky you didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, that one doesn't, um, it ring is true, but I, it was, I definitely, I took more of it on myself, I think, um, than other people. But I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad now I'm, I'm glad now that I, I, I've always wanted a healthy relationship with food. When I think back to my 22, 23 year old self mm-hmm. and you know, what I longed was not yo-yo dieting. Um, I, I wanted this like healthy relationship where food wasn't the enemy. I yeah. felt like so often that food was an enemy to me when, you know, really it's, it's like, it is our lifeblood. It is everything that, that fuels us. And to think of food as like fuel and as a positive, like nurturing, healthy, um, uh, food as medicine, uh, for our bodies made me, made me understand it better and made me choose things that I knew were inherently like good for me. And that, that kind of changed. That's where I think it all sort of just like switched a little bit. Yeah. That Um, sounds like it. That sounds like you, you look at food a different way now. Completely. And I have to tell my daughter too. I'm like, because of course, look, every four-year-old knows that they, they don't want to finish the Brussels sprouts because they're full, but that they've definitely got room to have treats. So (laughs) ice cream. Yeah. It's not that treats are good or bad. Again, the labels on, you know, good and bad food. Uh, But I tried to, a, a great nutritionist laid this out with children, which is that we have always foods and we have sometimes foods. And I think that's a great rule of thumb for adults too, which is yeah. that, you know, are always foods are the things that nourish us that are always readily, should be readily available if we can in a household, which is like fruit, whole good fats, you know, whole grains. These are things that if you're still hungry, yes, you may have peanut butter toast and a banana and an apple, you know, and mm-hmm. then sometimes foods are things that we, that are, just, that are not every day. These are like all of our treats in life that are delicious. Um, and I think it's important to be able to savor those and enjoy them with how they're meant to be, how they're meant to be enjoyed. Uh, so 
Well, I'm, my last question for you, because you literally answered all my questions or like <laughs> my last question, if somebody is feeling how we used to feel, uh-huh. what would be your advice for them today? Don't let this be a secret. Mm. Talk to somebody. Tell somebody about it. If it's not a therapist, is it a friend? Is it is it a, a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is, because then it's not then it's not shameful. Keeping a secret like an eating disorder inside for 10 years meant that I didn't have to get better because mm-hmm. nobody knew about it. So if I relapsed or I went on, you know, a jag of binging and purging for two weeks, no one was the wiser and I didn't have to, I could pretend like it, like it didn't exist. You were, you weren't accountable to anybody. That's right. And mm-hmm. for 10 years, I wasn't accountable to anybody about it. And that's, it, I wish it hadn't gone on that long. There are so many physical side effects uh, from an eating disorder that can have dire and negative consequences down the line, uh, physically, but also emotionally. And the sooner that you can talk to somebody, um, then it's not a secret. Then it's then it can be, uh, then you can be held accountable for it, and you can deal with it. And I think our secrets eventually do make us sick. Yeah. Not even just the the physiological side effects, but yeah, the emotional side effects of not being able to live your life in the best way that you want to live it. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. It feels good to talk about it. If you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.